Ezra chapter number 8, beginning in verse number 24. And the word of God reads this. Then I separated twelve of the chief of the priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and ten of their brethren with them, and weighed unto them the silver and the gold, and the vessels even, uh, even the offering of the house of our God, which the king and his counsellors and his lords and all there present had offered. I even weighed into their hands six hundred and fifty talents of silver, and silver vessels a hundred talents, and of gold a hundred talents, also twenty basins of gold of a thousand drams, two vessels of fine copper, precious as gold. And I said unto them, Ye are holy unto the Lord. The vessels are holy also. The silver and the gold are a freewill offering unto the Lord God of your fathers. Watch ye and keep them until ye weigh them before the chief of the priests and the Levites and the chief of the followers of Israel at Jerusalem in the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites So took the priests and the Levites the weight of the silver and the gold and the vessels to bring them to Jerusalem under the house of our God. Then we departed from the river of Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was upon us and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and of such as lay in wait by the way. And we came to Jerusalem and abode there three days. Now in the fourth day was the silver and the gold and the vessels weighed in the house of our God by the hand of Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the priest. With him was Eleazar, the son of Phinehas, and with them was Josabah, the son of Yeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Benui, Levites. By the number and by the weight of every one and all the weight that was written at that time. Also the children of those that had been carried away, which were come out of captivity, offered burnt offerings unto the Lord God of Israel. Twelve bullocks for all Israel, ninety and six rams, seventy and seven lambs, twelve he goats for a sin offering. All this was a burnt offering unto the Lord. And they delivered the Lord's commissions unto the king's lieutenants. Or sorry, they delivered the king's commissions unto the king's lieutenants and to the governors on this side of the river, and they furthered the people and the house of God. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come to your house this morning to worship. We know that, Lord, this is just a place where we convene, but we know that the church is not the bricks, but the people, the body of Christ. But we thank you, Lord, that we have this place, that you've allowed us to have this place where we can gather freely, Lord, to worship you and to bring our burnt offerings, as it were, of praise and sacrifice unto you. Well, Lord, as we look at Ezra this morning and we see these principles that we're going to examine this morning about faithful, responsible stewardship, I'm thankful, Lord, for the example that Ezra has laid down. I'm thankful, Lord, that he was a good and godly leader. I'm thankful, Lord, that he was a leader who knew the way and went the way and showed the way. And, Lord, we are to be those type of leaders within our own lives, our own homes. And, Lord, certainly within the church, I pray that you would help me as the pastor and the leadership team within those that lead ministries to be good and godly in all that we do. Lord, will you guide us? And Lord, I thank you that we can look to your word, that we don't do this alone, 
we do this in your strength and through your strength. But Lord, part of that is not just sitting back and saying, Lord, go to work, but being faithful, responsible stewards of what you've given us. So we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning. I ask, Lord, that you would use me. I pray that there would be nothing said that shouldn't be said and everything that should be said would be said. And Lord, I ask again for your help in this. In Jesus' name, amen. It was a stormy night in Birmingham uh, when Hudson Taylor was to speak at a meeting at Severn Street Schoolroom. His hostesses assured him that nobody would attend because it was such a stormy night. He was preaching in England and we go to, we go to bits whenever we get any type of weather over here, don't we? So he was told that, you know, don't, not worth it. Not many people are going to attend. But Taylor insisted on going and he said this, I must go even if there is no one but the doorkeeper. Less than a dozen people showed up to the meeting. But the meeting was marked with unusual spiritual power. Half of those present at that meeting, so six out of the twelve, either became missionaries or gave their children as missionaries to uh, the China Inland Mission. And the rest were faithful supporters of the mission for years to come. And we look at Hudson Taylor and we can look at his, you know, his, all his achievements and see that he did great things for God. And God did great things through him. But when you look at any of these kind of, uh, we'll call them the heroes of the faith if you like, in the, in the modern day church movement, certainly in that golden period of, of missions in the 18th, early 19th century, and we put them up there and we say, well, they, they, they did amazing things for God. You know, I could never do anything like that. But I think from what we've just realized and seen, even from that little story about Hudson Taylor and how this, the effect he had upon others, it was simply, his power was simply this, that he was faithful, responsible in his stewardship of what God had given him. And even though many people would have said, you know what, I'm not going to, it's not, probably not worth, worth going to that. He went and the Lord blessed it greatly. And that's where I think we're at as a church today. We, 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 we put these people and we put them in books. Like they're people that are of a bygone error and they've done things that we today could never achieve. And we put them in pedestals like it was them. But it was the Lord working through them. It was God that spoke to the hearts of those people that came to that meeting that night. It was God through the Holy Spirit that prompted them and led them to go on to the mission field. And so the thing, what I'm trying to say here this morning is that we've got to get back from that. And we've got to step into a place where we realize our part in this is simply faithful, responsible stewardship and when we do this and do this well God will work and can work today in the same way that he's worked through Hudson Taylor in the same way that he's worked through Adam M. Judson and all the other missionaries the same way he worked through William Carey because these were men of flesh and blood that had good points they had bad points they made mistakes, they had lows, they had highs, they had all of that. But what you'll find is that for the majority of those that went on to do the work of God, you could pick these qualities out. They were faithful, 
responsible stewards of what God had given them and entrusted them with. And they simply kept on keeping on. And then God did the work. And they might not have even seen it in their lifetimes. But their faithfulness was rewarded in spiritual terms. Either with the legacy they left, with the impact they left, or whatever it may be. So when we think about these three kind of words, faithful, responsible, stewardship, I wanted to just break them down this morning. And, and, and before we get into Ezra, just let's think about what these words mean. Because you can put that little phrase together, faithful, responsible, stewardship, and just gloss over what each individual word means. Because the phrase is the sum of its parts. Faithful means to be true to one's word. Promises, vows. Here's the command for the Christian. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Not let your yes be no. Not let your yes be yes, that's what I'm going to tell you, but this is what I'm going to do. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's to be faithful. Now that is the same for how we deal with others and how the same we deal with the Lord. Yes be yes, no be no. Faithful means to be steady in allegiance or affection. To be faithful to the Lord means to be steady in allegiance to him. That when you walk in this world, people know who you belong to, who you represent. Because your banner, your flag, whatever you want to call it, is is loud and proud. You belong to Christ. And the world should know it. That's what it means to be faithful. What about responsible? Responsible means to be answerable or accountable as for something within one's power, control or management. So you're accountable for something that you've been made responsible for. It also involves accountability or responsibility or having the power or control to manage. So there's a responsibility that comes when you're delegated authority and then there's a responsibility as in you're now responsible and you can manage and you can administer. Faithful, true to one's word. Responsible, answerable or accountable or in a position where you have to do. Thirdly, stewardship. The position and duties of a steward. A person who acts as a surrogate of another or others, especially by managing property, financial affairs, and estate, etc. The responsible overseeing and protection of something considered worth caring for and preserving. Now these are just from dictionary.com. These are the secular terms for this. But we put them in the, the biblical sense. And, you know, Scripture does exhort us to be faithful stewards. That our yes should mean yes. That we're committed. We're responsible. We understand the debt that has been placed upon us. We are debtors to the gospel. That's what Paul talks about in Romans. It's there. As clear as day. Paul says, I'm a debtor to the gospel. I have to share the gospel because it has been given unto me. He says in scripture lately, an administration or stewardship, a dispensation of the gospel has been given unto me. I have been given the gospel of grace and because I have this, now I'm a debtor to those that need this. And until I share this, I'm the one that's the debtor. 1 Corinthians 
Chapter number 4, Paul says this. Writing to the church at Corinth that needed correction. They needed to get back to basics. To be faithful, responsible stewards. Because the church at Corinth was all over the place. Paul writes this. Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Faithful, responsible stewardship. That's what the word of God and the word himself calls for in his church, in his people. So we're going to look at Ezra chapter number 8 this morning. As I say, we're going to finish it off. And we're going to have a look and see how this is modeled in here. This concept of faithful, responsible stewardship is modeled by Ezra and the returning remnant. So here's the first thing that we see. Verse number 24, Ezra 8. We see the faithful, responsible stewardship of people. Look at verse 24 with me, church. Then I separated twelve of the chief priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and ten of their brethren with them. So the first thing we see here in this faithful, responsible stewardship of people is that Ezra separates some people out for a specific task. And that word separation is supremely important biblically. It's supremely important uh, biblically. And here Ezra separates out 12 of the chief priests and 12 of the Levites. So again, I don't have time and this morning's message is not geared to go into a numerology. But the number 12 is important in scripture. Do your own research in that. The number 24 is important in scripture. Do your own research into that. But nevertheless, Ezra separates out these 12 He chose the people to whom the responsibility was going to be given. And like I said, that word separate is of great importance. It means to be set apart. To be set apart. We see it in creation. Turn to Genesis chapter number 1 verse 4. Genesis chapter number 1, verse 4. And God saw the light that it was good, and God, God divided or separated the light from the darkness. So we see this separation, this setting apart in creation. We see it when we get to Israel. Turn to Leviticus chapter number 20, verse number 24. Leviticus 20 and verse number 24. Talking about Israel here. But I have said unto you, ye shall inherit the land, and I will give it unto you to possess it, a land that floweth with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, which have separated you from other people. Israel was set apart for a purpose, to do God's work. They weren't set apart to be saved, elected to serve. That's what it happened and that's what God was doing he was separating them out from the people the other people the heathen pagan nations around because he had a purpose for them they were to take the oracles of God the light of God to the world that was to be their job and of course we know that they they failed and the church age came in 
So Israel was separated. Then the Levites also were separated. Turn to Numbers chapter number 8. Verse 14. Numbers 8 verse 14. Thus shall they separate the Levites from among the children of Israel. And the Levites shall be mine. So the Levites were then set apart. What were they set apart for? We're going to see it was for a further purpose. Purpose. Turn to Romans chapter number 1 verse 1. We're going to see Paul was separated. Also set apart. Romans 1 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. So this separation, this setting apart, is always with purpose. With purpose. And those that are set apart, when we're dealing with people groups, when we're dealing with bodies, those that are set apart, they are set apart for the purposes of God. God is going to use them in a unique way. When we get to Paul, he's set apart for the gospel of God. And he is used in a unique way to bring the gospel of grace to the church. So in Ezra 8, we find that Ezra is doing the same thing. He's setting apart those that are, are to be used for a unique purpose. And, and what happens is that Ezra is setting apart the right People. This is good, faithful, responsible stewardship. And that's what leaders are to do. We're to set apart the right people to do the work of God. There's a, so often in churches, the wrong people are set apart to do the work of God. And it's, it's a mistake. We have to be faithful, responsible stewards. Now, there's a work for everybody within the church body, but not everybody is suited to every work. And the right delegation and the right leadership is important in that. And that's a, that's a church function. It's not just for the pastor to see who's got giftings in certain areas and who should be used. You know, it's for the church body to come along and say to the pastor or leadership, you know, I've seen such and such in this environment and they've really, really excelled at it. They've got talent there. God's given them a gift. They may not know it. They may not want to accept it. They may struggle with it. There may be things in the, in the way, obstacles or uh, things that need to be dealt with. But there's something of the Lord there. Faithful, responsible stewardship of people means getting the right people in the right place to do the work that God has called them to. So Ezra, he sets apart the right people there in verse 24. And notice that it's both the priests and the Levites that are required for the task at hand. Now Ezra is a good and godly leader. And he is doing everything God's way. Even in this task. Because you have to put your mind to this and and really think about this. That Ezra could easily get carried away with with everything that's going on around him. And our human nature might be to do that. You know, if you imagine if the government of the land came in and just gave us remit to do what Ezra was able to do and give us the finances and give us the function to be able to do all these things, it would be very easy to get carried away and go down a path where it's us deciding what we do, how we do it, and where we do it. But Ezra's a good and godly leader. 
And he wants to do things God's way. So when he assigns 12 priests and 12 Levites to this job, he knows exactly what he's doing and why he is doing it. Because God had commanded the order of things. See, Aaron and his descendants, the priests, had their specific functions. And we should know about the functions of the priests. You know, it should have been taught often enough in this church. But the, the Levites, those that weren't priests and weren't from that uh, Aaronic line, had their function and in the Levitical system. They were to carry the stuff through the wilderness. So the Levites had to take the stuff down of the tabernacle. We're thinking of the tent of witness in the, in the, in the wilderness all those years ago. That, that blueprint that is given by God. The, uh, Levi, the priests were to take those things down when they had to move. Because it was designed to be a movable structure. And of course the wilderness wanderings, they moved. So the Levites um, didn't, couldn't take down the parts of the tabernacle because they would defile it. It could only be the priests because these things were holy. We're going to have a look at this a little bit later on. So when you look at Numbers chapter number 4, and we don't have uh, the time really to, to look there too much this morning, but if you look at Numbers chapter 4, you'll find that the Levites were to be those that once the, the things had been packed down, once the tabernacle had been taken down, that the Levites had to come in and they had to carry the stuff. They had to, to be the humpers and dumpers and carry it through. Different roles and different responsibilities. But what I want you to to highlight and focus upon your mind is that without the Levites, the priests would have been beat. Without the priests, the Levites would have been beat. They'd have been stuck in a system that they couldn't do or they couldn't fulfill. So you have 12 Levites and you have 12 uh, priests and together they're able to do the work of God. And number 12 is the number of perfect governmental representation. 12 tribes of Israel. You know, you've got the 12 apostles, etc. You put them together, the number 24, and you have a completeness to this. You look in Revelation and you see the 24 elders that I believe represent the church age. If we're looking to draw some New Testament application from here, we have the priests and we have the Levites. We have the complete corporate body of the priestly order that are able to do what God has called them to do. And that's like the church. We do have those that have certain roles of a, of a function that others can't do, that aren't ordained to do. Not everybody is called to be a pastor. Not everybody. But not everybody is, is called to be in children's ministry. Not everybody is called to be in you know, the hospitality side of it. But we are called together. And when the priests and the Levites, we want to break it down into uh, kind of old terms, when the laity and the clergy come together, then we can achieve the work of God. And when these two uh, uh, groups came together, they were able to move the tabernacle in the wilderness and do what God wanted them to do and move. And when we get to Ezra, we find that Ezra knows rightly for the things to be moved. We're going to see the vessels and we're going to see the, 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 the money, the provisions that are there. Before that is ever moved, it has to be done the right way, God's way. And part of that is Ezra exercising faithful, responsible stewardship over people. Couldn't be anybody. Oh, but they're excellent carriers. No, it had to be Levites. 
well, well, you know, they, they, this person knows all about the Old Testament. Couldn't they be a priest, Ezra? Couldn't they get in and do this? No. Faithful, responsible stewardship requires that we look at what God wants and we do what God asks us to do. Say, Pastor, why, why don't you, you know, don't agree with, with women in the pastoral role? Because I don't see it biblically. And therefore, it doesn't matter how good they may be as a speaker. It has to be God's way. That's faithful, responsible stewardship. And if more of that was exercised within the church, faithful, responsible stewardship of people, the church wouldn't be in half the mess that it is. Faithful, responsible stewardship of people. That's what Ezra shows us. Then... Verses 25 to 30, there's faithful, responsible stewardship of provisions. So we see there in verse 25 that there is this great donation that is made from different, different parties. Verses 25 and, and 20 to 27 there. And really the amount of money, that try, they've tried to calculate this, the commentators tried to calculate this. And all we can say for sure is that it is a ridiculous sum of money for that time. It's a ridiculous sum of money. When it's all added up. And that heathen king has, has given so much to the work of God. So much to the work of God that we take us to a New Testament application. And really the, the giving of this heathen king should put us to shame as the children of God. For the giving that we give. All of us. Me included. I'm not, <laughs> not like I give all my wage back. I don't. But... Is our giving what it should be? I don't know if it is. I don't think the figures in the church reflect that. Not that we shake a bucket and say, you know, we give because we need, because God, it's his silver, it's his gold. But faithful, responsible stewardship of provisions means that we should be given to God what he has given to us. There's no doubt about it. So Ezra has got the right people and he's got them along and the money is counted and it's, and it's counted out, it's weighed out. And uh, Ezra then gives this proclamation. So we've looked at the donations and then there's a proclamation from Ezra, verse 28. Ezra says this, And I said unto them, Ye are holy unto the Lord. The vessels also and the silver and gold are freewill offering unto the Lord God of your fathers. I love that, freewill offering. Not forced, not coerced, not, you know, give us money and we'll give you blessings. No, freewill offering. But Ezra says this, because he understands God's ways, he understands God's word, and he says, ye are holy, the people are holy. Who? The Levitical order. The Levites and the priests. He says, you're holy. You're set apart. You're sanctified, as it were. You're holy, and also the vessels are holy. And so, Ezra knew that God wanted things done in his way and his order. He knew that not anybody could handle these things. They would defile them because they were holy. So he has the right people engaged in this. He understands the order. And, you know, as I was reading this, I was thinking about the New Testament application. You know, thinking about the thought that there's 12 and 12 and 24. Getting into the New Testament, I think it's the 24 elders representative of the church. But just thinking about the church body. That you're holy. You're holy. 
Why are you holy? If you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. You're holy. You may not act holy and behave holy, but your spirit is holy. It's holy. Your vessels is what you are. And here we have the people are holy and the vessels are holy. But we're both. We're the people, but we're also the vessels as the church today. You know, you think about this new terms and application. We're priests, right? You know, we as a Baptist church, we believe that as a core tenet, the priesthood of all believers. Not the pastorate of all believers, but the priesthood of all believers. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Let's look there. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So we're priests. But as I've said, we're also vessels. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 to 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 to 7. Paul writes, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Not only we praise and holy in that aspect, but we are also holy in the fact that we are vessels unto the Lord. We're carriers of the Holy Spirit, if you like. He is within us. And we've got to recognize that. And part of recognizing that is to keep ourselves holy. Be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. 2 Timothy chapter number 2 verse 21. Paul writing to uh, Timothy says, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honour, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. And that's what we're to be, church. To understand that we're priests, but we're also vessels. And we have to be circumspect in how we live our lives and who we live our lives for and what we allow to come in and devile us. We have to be obedient to what God wants. And that's what Ezra was. And that's what he did. He set apart these people. That was good, faithful, responsible stewardship. He set apart these provisions, understood that the things that they had were holy unto the Lord and the people that he had was holy unto the Lord. And he set these things about in God's order. And then he gives us an instruction, verse 29, watch ye, keep them until you weigh them before the chief of the priests and the Levites and the chief of the father of Israel at Jerusalem in the chambers of the house of the Lord. Specific instructions, a mission given to this body, 12 and 12 and 24, to go and do and take these things which are holy Take the provisions they've been given, the donations, the vessels. Watch them, keep them until you weigh them before the chief of the priests and the Levites and the chief of the fathers on Israel. Now again, I want to bring us to a New Testament application here. By interpretation, we're dealing with Israel, we're dealing with the Levites, we're we're dealing with the priests. But New Testament application, dealing with the church body, the priesthood of the believers, also the vessels of God in the church age. I want you to see that 
what happens is, verse 29, Ezra says, watch ye and keep them. They're entrusted with something here. Paul writing to Timothy, turn to 1 Timothy chapter number 6 and verse 20. Because as the local church, either in leadership or just as a believer in the body of Christ, you are entrusted with something that you're to watch and keep. 1 Timothy 6 verse 20. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and fanbable babblings, the opposition of science falsely so called. So, you know, as, as believers in the New Testament age, the truth is we are entrusted with something. We're entrusted with the gospel. We're entrusted with the doctrine that was given once for all to the early church through the word of God. We're to be pillars of salt and light, truth. We're to be keepers of truth. We're to perpetuate that from generation to generation. We're not to let it go. We're not to let it be diluted. We're not to let it change. We're to be guardians of truth. We're entrusted to watch and keep it. And also then we're entrusted to take the gospel out. We're debtors to the gospel. Just like Ezra had entrusted the priests and the Levites. But also there in verse 29 of Ezra 8. After it says watch and keep them. It says until you weigh them before the chief of the priests at Jerusalem. They were to watch, keep them. They were to look after them. They were entrusted to them until they were weighed before the chief of priests at Jerusalem. Surely in a church context and application, this brings us to Romans chapter 14, verse 12. Turn there. Yes, we're entrusted with something until we stand before the chief priest, as it were. Romans 14 verse 12. Paul writes this. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Surely our thoughts should go to the judgment seat. We are entrusted with something. We are to keep the truth. We are to share the gospel. Until we stand before the chief priest. Our chief priest. And we give an account. What do we give an account for? What we have done in the mission that we have been entrusted with. Ezra entrusts the priests and the Levites with a mission. He says this is your job. Until you get to your destination, until you stand before the chief priest, you have to watch and keep and guard this with your lives. With your lives. The instruction's clear. Ezra's clear. He says, priests, Levites, step up to the plate. This journey wasn't going to be easy. Not at all. But they were required because they were the right people. To be about God's work. And Ezra's faithful, responsible stewardship of people. His faithful, responsible stewardship of provisions. He got them all in the right order. Understanding clearly what the task was. To lead them to verse 31. And faithful, responsible stewardship of purpose. 
Look at verse 31 with me. Then we departed from the river, this is Ezra 8, of Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of God was upon us and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy as such as lay in wait in Jerusalem. Think about that. Here they are, this group, and they, they go on this, this journey, this arduous journey, and it was fraught with danger, no doubt about it. The, the rumours had gone out, the jungle drums had, had banged, the smoke signals had gone across that region. Look, there were this group of Jews, of Israelites, who were uh, moving from Babylon all the way through to get to Jerusalem. This is not a, you know, like a day trip. This is a 900 mile journey approximately. They reckon it probably took them between three and a half to four months. And the news had spread that they were traveling with what? An extraordinary sum of money. They were targets. People lay in the wait. They had precious cargo. And they were a few people. And there were enemies along the way. Can you see a church application here? Can you? Church has always been a remnant. Always in the population of the world, a remnant. But we're entrusted with something. We're given a mission. And we have to fulfill that purpose. And along the way, there are those that want to attack us. They want to take what we have, to pollute what we have, to change what we have. We're going to face difficulties along the way. And that's what happened to these people. And after three days, they got there and they rested. Absolutely. Absolutely. Rest. Well needed. Because they were in the battlefield, no doubt about it. This killer of a journey. 900 miles, three and a half months, just a small group of them with all this treasure had defeated all the enemies in their path. They had managed to get to their journey and we're going to see everything was accounted for. Nothing had been lost along the way. This was a time where they could have very easily fallen into the flesh and said, well done us. How good are we? We've made it. Aren't we brilliant? Pat on the back for everybody. Come on, you know, let's all encourage one another. How great we are. But there's none of that. There's a recognition once again from these faithful, responsible stewards that it was the hand of God upon them that had kept them in the way. The hand of our God was upon us. And he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and of such that lay in wait by the way. God's hand was upon those people because they were faithful, responsible stewardship, stewards of his purpose. God's hand was upon them. And they made it to their destination. They come to their destination and verse 33, there's a certification of all the riches and that's important. There's a transparency There was a testimony that was pure here. Nobody had dipped their hand in the pot. Nobody had misused the things that were given for the work of God at Jerusalem. Verse 33, In the fourth day the silver and the gold and the vessels were weighed in the house of our God by the hand of Memorath, the son of Uriah, the 
priests. Verse 34, by number and by weight of every one, and all the weight was written at that time. Everyone was accounted for. Everyone was above board. Their testimony was sure. It was uh, complete, as it were. Then, verse 35, 36, we get to the completion of this journey. Says verse 35, also the children of those that had been carried away were come out of the captivity, offered burnt offerings unto the God of Israel. Verse 36, and they delivered the king's commissions unto the king's lieutenants, to the governors on this side of the river. Now, what I want us to see here is that they've completed the journey. The purpose has been achieved. They've reached their destination. They've been discharged. The Levites and the priests have been discharged of the duties that they were given. They've recognized that it was God's hand upon them. They've given everything in to where it should go. And now they go and they go to God and offer burnt offerings before they go and fulfill the civil governmental side of things. Now they did that. But it was God first, government second. Ezra had been sent by the king. The king had sent letters. He'd sent commissions. They had to be delivered. Ezra said he would deliver them. That your yes be yes and your no be no. So he does it. It would have been very easily to ignore a heathen king. We're here. We've reached Jerusalem. We don't need that heathen king anymore. God's hand is upon us. And completely ignore it. That's not what Ezra does. Because he's a faithful steward of the purposes that he's been given. What he does do. And what they do first of all though. Is they go to God. And offer burnt offerings. Thankfulness unto the Lord. For where he's brought them. Then they fulfill the governmental side of it. And that's what the believer is to be. And that's how the believer is to live. We are to honour our governments. But not before God. It has to be God first and government second. There are many teachers it's God and God alone. But if we honour God, we have to honour the government that he's put over our heads. But there's an order to it. And this once again, just even in the closing of this journey, is an example of faithful, responsible stewardship. Getting things right in the right order of purpose. The mission is complete. It's done. They've reached Jerusalem. And what we've seen as we've gone through the remainder of chapter 8 this morning is faithful, responsible stewardship. Number one of people. Getting the right people in the right place. Making sure that the people are encouraged about the work. There's the right uh, and faithful, responsible stewardship of provisions. You know, using the things that God has given in the way God would have them to be used. And then there's completing the purpose of the mission. There's faithful stewardship in it. Doing everything that they were called of God to do and fulfilling all the promises that they made, even to the heathen king. Their yes was yes and their no was no. Surely that is faithful, responsible stewardship. And as we close this morning, I want to ask you this question, church. Are you, are we, could we honestly say that we're faithful, responsible stewards of people, provisions and purpose? 
Are you faithful and responsible in regards to people? Are you leading and delegating well if you're a leader? In the home, are you leading and delegating well? In the church, are you leading well, setting an example? Are you faithful? Are you faithful and responsible in regards to provisions, what the Lord has given you? Your time. God gives you time. You don't create time. God has given you it. The money you have, God has gifted you to earn that, allowed you to earn that. The talents and the abilities that you have, God has given you them. But are you faithful and responsible in your stewardship over them? Faithful and responsible in regards to purpose. Do you know the mission? Are you committed to it? To the call to be a faithful disciple of Christ. Let me put those three things in a little different way that might help you this morning. Are you faithful and responsible in regards to people? What do I mean by this? Are you a good steward over who you have? Are you a good steward over who you have? Are you faithful and responsible in regards to provisions? Are you a good steward over what you have? Are you faithful and responsible in regards to purpose? Are you a good steward over why you have it? Are you a good steward over what you have, who you have, and why you have it? Hudson Taylor. The great quote, and we'll finish with Hudson Taylor. said this. Depend upon it. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. And while I agree with that, absolutely, I think there's a disjustice done because this is the caveat that comes. Let me read it again. Quoting Kevin Cowdery, modern day pastor. God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply when God's people are faithful, responsible stewards of who they have, what they have, and why they have it. God is willing to work in our lives. He will supply the need. He will empower us and equip us. He will protect us. But we have to respond to who God is and be faithful, responsible stewards of who we have. Number one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, the people around us in the church. Number three, our siblings, loved ones, whoever it may be, that know Jesus. We have to be responsible for what we have. It's God given you a gift. Use it for him. Use it for him as faithful, responsible stewardship. It's God given you time. Use it for him as faithful, responsible stewardship. God given you finances. Use it for him. That's faithful responsible stewardship I wonder this morning church are you faithful responsible stewards to who God is and what he wants for you and what he's given to you let's pray